is truth. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the pastor, uh, under-shepherd, slave, servant of T-Bones and Taters Bible Church (laughs) here in Bowie, Maryland. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Oh, buddy, I'm I'm enjoying the T-Bones and Taters of God's Word. (laughs) You could tell I went back and listened to some other, some of the uh, older podcasts because I was like, man, like there's a lot of good stuff that was said during that podcast. I was like, I, I need to go back and listen to all of these. These are good. Two years? It's, yeah. How many episodes? Uh, this would be 100 and I want to say seven. Wow. Yep. How, how is it that we never run out of anything to say? Uh, well, um, I, I have an idea. And probably because of the fact that the uh, the scripture is perfect. Yeah. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. Yeah. It didn't say it's going to revive it once. It <laughs> says it revives. That'll <laughs> preach right there. Yeah. Watch out. Watch out. The word of God is endless too, oh, isn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah. Like a, like a gold mine where you never reach the end of it. Mm-hmm. And the nuggets you get out of that gold mine keep getting bigger and bigger the deeper you go. Yep. What a, what a marvelous, rich heritage the word of God is and... Just a testimony to that fact that we always, always have something to talk about mm-hmm. and always have something to say when we go to God's word, mm-hmm. right? Not you and I. Our words are pretty much worthless, yeah. meaningless, really not going to help anybody for any eternal good. But God's word, priceless, yeah. endless. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. what a blessing. So uh, this is actually a, um, this would be, um, actually, I, say one of, I think it's going to be 108. Because, you know. I'm glad you're keeping track. 108, yeah. I can't count over 10. That's all I got right here. Yeah. Just digits, man. Okay, yeah. (laughs) It's a West Virginia school for you. So, (laughs) so, uh. This is this this these are just a series of questions that have come up and uh they have been talked about with length at length uh with some members of my family and uh close to me, my friends. So I have a few questions that I wanna ask. And the reason why I'm asking these questions is because we are not uh studied enough to come up with the uh, the answer. Okay. So we are bringing it to a person who has made this his his life uh, life journey. Mm. Um, so here we go. This first question is actually a little easier than the other questions. So I'm, I'm gonna you know, just give you a warm up question. I say. So uh, in the book of Luke, um, chapter two, around uh, yep. about I want to say verse thirty six or in that area, yep. um, the Bible speaks about a woman named uh, Anna who was a prophetess. Yep. And with that being the case, um, we in in light of uh, Titus two and First uh, yep. Timothy, um, or Second Timothy. Yep. One of them. Um, what is what is your take on that? Because I would almost imagine that uh, the likes of a Beth Moore or um, a Priscilla Schreier or yep. someone in that effect or Ben Benny Johnson. I think that's her name. Yep. Uh, Bill Johnson's wife. They would point to a person like that. Also, mm-hmm. um, uh, my in my personal study, the book of Judges um, and, you know, going through the judges and looking at the life of Deborah. Um, and it, you know, the word also says that she was a prophetess as well. Yep. Uh, what, what do you say about those and with the people that would argue, um, cause even I could make the argument and yep. this, we've already talked about this on the podcast, but now this is just a different one. Um, and Beverly during Christmas time was reading, uh, through Luke two, 
and she came across the word prophetess and pointing to Anna who worked in the temple. Yep. What, what, what would you say to that? And if, especially if someone were to use this as a weapon to prove the fact that women are able to, and can preach and did preach in the scriptures. Yeah. So, uh, that's not the only place that that's brought up just to, uh, bolster your case before I bring biblical truth to clarify it. Um, you can go over to, um, uh, Acts, I want to say it's 17. Is it 17 or 18? Hold on a second here. Seven, uh, you said Acts. Yep. Yep. The book uh, of Acts. Hold on a minute. Uh, it has to do with Agabus. And uh, no, it would be 21. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting my getting my chapters. Uh, uh, you said Agabus? Yeah, it's, it's after uh, Paul. Um, after Paul, what? Yeah, it's it's after Paul was, it's as Paul is going to Jerusalem, and um, before he was arrested. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. It's um, so it's in Acts twenty one, and I'll read it. Verse eight. On the next day, he departed and came up to Caesarea, and he entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. So this is back to Acts chapter 6, that's what he's talking about there, and stayed with him, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and of course he prophesied. So there's another example of, of uh, how many did it say? Four? Seven. Oh, he had four unmarried daughters four who, unmarried prophesied. who prophesied. So okay. there you go. So wow. there's... So I'm bolstering your case. That's four. Yeah, I'm bolstering your case for you. And that's post-ascension. So well, that's, yeah. that's, that's after you know Christ ascended. So we're in, quote-unquote, New Testament times, if you, if you believe, as I do, that the church began at Pentecost. Yeah, that's seven. Cause, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, um, uh, there's uh, De- Deborah, yep. Priscilla, is that her name? No, mm-hmm. is it Priscilla? Mm-hmm. Um, that was Moses. Moses' sister, mm-hmm. or no? You're talking about Miriam. 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 Yeah. And uh, yeah, Agabus. No, yeah. not Agabus, but the four. Yep. And then the prophetess Anna. That's Anna. six. Yeah. Who's the other person? No, no. I was, I was, I was, I, I was getting, I was conflating the word seven there when it oh, said he seven. was one of the seven. Yeah. Oh no, but that is seven. Oh, does it add is up? It? No, that's six. Yeah, that's six. Okay, I got you. I'm All West right. Virginia math, so yeah, don't, we're back on don't, point. Though. Don't count on me. Well, it's under ten, so I, there I figured. You, yeah, maybe but I haven't right. started using my digits. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Right, right. It, and and thankfully you have all of them. I I do at this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no telling what tomorrow will bring. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but, but yeah. So all right. So going back to your question. So yes, absolutely. Uh, were there uh, uh, people known as prophetess? Right, a woman who prophesied. Absolutely, we just looked at a number of examples of that, and uh, so I mean, there's no doubt about that. Nobody denies that. Um, were were the ladies who were categorized as as those who were prophets in that sense? Uh, do we see them, you know, holding office of of pastor, bishop, elder in the New Testament? No, mm-hmm. right, and so. To clarify your question, I think very simply and very clearly, you're asking why Why would we say that a woman couldn't hold the office and the work of elder, pastor, bishop, using those words synonymously as mm-hmm. the Greek, three Greek terms do. 
um, because it says very clearly in the New Testament that a woman shall not teach and have authority over a man. So, I mean, it's very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's a it's an open and shut case because that's what the Bible says. Right. And it declares it emphatically. And so that doesn't mean that women didn't hold that, uh, didn't hold a place where they were able to prophesy. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right, and you read o- over there the gift of prophecy and it comes up and it talks about uh, women in that context. Yet even there, there is a clear uh, understanding of what the parameters w- were on that gift, right? And there was boundaries given by God's word. And and he, Paul says very clearly in that passage that uh, women are to remain silent and are to learn from their husbands at home and, and um, a pretty controversial passage there that doesn't get talked about enough. And so, yeah, so I said, so the issue isn't denying what the Bible says. It's very clear. There were and so I think you have to get down to then defining what was that, what were they doing when they prophesied, and then what does the Bible say about the office of, of uh, pastor teacher? Is that an office of prophecy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, you see where you start to conflate the two. Mm-hmm. And as a prophet, now she can be a preacher. Wait a minute, now you're starting to cross boundaries that the Bible doesn't cross, right? And so, so. Um, <clears throat> It's obvious, right? The gift of prophecy was a gift that was clearly, uh, clearly given in the Bible, mm-hmm. and uh, we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. It was also a gift that was clearly um, coming to an end in the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that is undeniable. You you can't deny that if you define prophecy as infallible revelation given by God, which is then declared to others, right? If that's how you define the gift of prophecy, which is how the Bible defines it, which is what it is, right? Not fallible premonitions or impressions. That's the way the contemporary modern church defines it. The Bible nowhere does that, meaning where the Bible says very clearly, establishes very early on in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, if a man comes to you and claims to be a prophet and what he tells you does not come true what was the what was the command kill him kill him stone him yeah right so this idea of people claiming to be prophets and then declaring partial truths or just whole errors mm-hmm. is unbiblical on every level well the modern church that embraces <laughs> that embraces this idea of the gift of prophecy continuing, right. mm-hmm. they unashamedly say, well, of course, nobody's ever going to be perfect. Right. There are some so, parts that can be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Not even can. They say, absolutely, everybody mm-hmm. will be wrong. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, Wayne Grudem, who is probably the greatest, I, I would say the most uh, substantial theologian in that that defends the gift of prophecy today, mm-hmm. would tell you that most prophecy is wrong. Like he would say that, yeah, no, that's why you have to always check it because it can be wrong and it usually is wrong. And you mean you, modern, modern yeah, day? Yeah, the okay. modern day. So uh, the the point being, he's off, he's off, he's way off the reservation on truth now because anytime you say prophecy is wrong, it's no longer biblical prophecy. Mm-hmm. God does, n- God never gives revelation that is wrong. Well, wait, I'm confused now because that was my question. He's saying all prophecy is wrong. He no, wasn't referring to what was canonized. No, he's talking about modern. 
Gotcha. Using the contemporary version of prophecy, which is the modern version that says prophecy today can be wrong. Right. Okay. Not infallible, but fallible. Okay. God's prophecy is always infallible. He never declares anything that's wrong. That's Mm -hmm. biblical prophecy, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's declaring uh, truth that is yet to come about, right? It's Mm -hmm. foretelling. And he tells it. He prophesies. He says, this is going to happen mm-hmm. on such and such a day at such and such a time for such and such a person. You know, thus says the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's that in its in its uh, simple form. That's what biblical prophecy is. Now, it's also if you go back to the Old Testament, there was a, an act of. So there was the there was the declaration of prophecy, which tended to usually be foretelling right? Mm-hmm. Telling the future, right? right. But there was also the act of prophecy, right? To where it was the declaration of it. So you had the prophecy itself, which is the c- content, and then you had the act of prophecy, which was the, the uh, declaration of the content. So you had a prophet who was one who told the future, and he also, he proclaimed the future, right? He proclaimed the word. So that's why some guys will declare that preachers do prophesy, not in the sense of telling the future, but in declaring what God has already prophesied, declaring God's word. I don't use that because I think it's confusing. I don't think it's helpful at all. I think it conflates. Mm -hmm. And rather than, I just stay with biblical uh, verbiage, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we proclaim, we preach, we declare. I'm not going to say I prophesy, though I understand that there is an there is an amb- ambiguous nature to the term, and you can you can fluidly use it in that way and not be totally wrong. Yet I think it's just not accurate. I think it's just not clear. I think it gets confusing. And the reason why I ask that is because, like the in in Judges, when because uh, so Deborah she actually prophesied, mm-hmm. meaning she told the future yep. of uh, the king, uh, I forget his name, but mm-hmm. that king, because Barak wanted to kill that yep. king, but Cicero. yeah, but he, he couldn't kill he couldn't kill that king because he went into a tent and the wife of whoever yep. that they had, I mean these, these two countries had, had, had were at peace, Yes, but the, the queen I yep. would say killed yep. the other king, yeah. uh, put stole, uh, drove a stake through his head. Tent so, all right, so it was it was a very interesting uh, conversation, you know. Yep. Uh, I mean, story. But the the thing is that before that king went out, I mean, uh, he told her what was going to happen. Yeah, He's so gonna, it's going to be in the hand of a woman, basically. But that versus. What did Anna do where it says that she's a prophetess? Was she one to tell the future or was she one that would kind of give me the the, the, the distinction, I would say? Yeah, well, no, I mean, the, the term prophetess means that she would prophesy, right? Okay. And so, again, I think you have to understand it in its context. Even the Gospels have to be read through an Old Testament context, historical context, mm-hmm. right? And so you're still, you're still dealing with Old Testament uh, uh, history that's still— I mean, they're still under the law, and they're still following the law, right? Christ is coming, and he's going to bring an end to the law and all of that, but that has not happened yet, right? You still have, in that same context of Luke 2, you still have Zechariah in the temple offering the sacrifices, giving giving the prayers, all of those things, because the temple, right, the veil of the temple hasn't been rent in two yet. You still mm-hmm. have all of that going on. So what you have in the Old Testament is carrying right on in through the Gospels, and so it's not it's not— uh, uncommon or odd that 
that you would have that, right? Because you see that in the Old Testament, and you've given a couple examples of that already. And, of course, Miriam being being another one, you know, the, the sister of, of Moses. And so, so you have that reality of that, uh, for lack of a better word, that, that position, that office that was there. But as you go into the New Testament, you, the only other place you see it, that's why it turned there, was in Acts 21 with the daughters of, of uh, uh, Philip. And, uh, but clearly you see it there, right? Now, um, so, but you have the book of Acts and the book of, uh, and the Gospels is transitioning, right? So you've transitioned from the law, the Old Testament era, and now we're in the church, the New Testament era. Things have changed without question, right? And uh, so what you, what you see is Paul clearly declares in 1 Timothy 2 what the uh, place of a woman is in the realm of the church, mm-hmm. in the leadership structure, in the role and responsibility. Very clearly, he lines that out, and and if he says it in First Timothy, he says it in First Corinthians again, and he even says in First Corinthians that what he declares there about everything being done decently in order, and about women remaining silent in the in the public setting of of the church, which again, that verse for me. Never, it never gets talked about enough in this context. It's like people don't want to. People, everybody wants to go to First Timothy two, which is great because it's so clear. But what about First Corinthians twelve to fourteen? Because there, the gift of prophecy is talked about, and the parameters are given, and the boundaries are given. And yet, even there, Paul is clear. No, I'd have women learn from their husbands. I'd have them to be silent. And he says this is the practice for all the churches. This wasn't just a Corinthian issue, which. They had issues, but mm-hmm. this is this is what I demand of all the churches. So clearly, Paul is lining out what God's will is. This is the prophecy. This is the revelation from God. This is God's design for the church, and it would be this. Mm-hmm. Now, something interesting to consider, that being the case, that there were women who prophesied, right? Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about it. The Bible says that. We don't <clears throat> deny that. Right. That being the case, there is there are, there are no women who uh, held positions of leadership, whether it be a king, whether it be a uh, priest, whether it be any of the positions of leadership you see in the Bible from Old Testament forward. You don't see that. It's always men. As a matter of fact, you don't see women ever writing scripture. There's no book of the Bible ever written by a woman. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not demeaning women. That's not tearing women down. That's just stating the facts, mm-hmm. right? The fact was God wanted men to lead. That was his design, very clearly stated in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, very clearly reiterated in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and in 1 Corinthians even declares that emphatically. And so, again, another verse people don't consider the fact that uh, man wasn't created for woman, but woman was created for man, mm-hmm. right? What does all that mean? What is all being said there? Those are verses that have to be brought into the into the interplay of, of the question you're asking, right, mm-hmm. to rightfully understand it. Scripture has to interpret Scripture. So you have to understand that. And then when you go into the New Testament, right? Um, so, yeah, you still have Old Testament offices that are still there, right? You still have priests. You still have prophets. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. Mm-hmm. He was the saint. He, he came in the spirit of who? Elijah, who mm-hmm. was the Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist, in every way, functioned like an Old Testament prophet. Why? Because you're in that hinge point between the old and the new, that where the old is still active, but the new is coming. The mm-hmm. new covenant is coming. 
But there's John the Baptist, no different than Anna, who was in her, you know, uh, her position as a prophetess, right? And so, um, so you see that, and so that doesn't change anything any different than you, like you said, you had Deborah and Miriam, and no doubt others during that time. But when you get into the New Testament, then in the book of Acts, you clearly still had those gifts that were continuing for that time, Mm -hmm. but they were fading out, right? Fading out because God's revelation now was being written down, right? Uh, Ephesians 2.20, the foundation was through the ministry of of the apostles, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And when... That ministry of revelation was given when it was when it was complete. Then there's no more gift of prophecy needed, mm-hmm. right? What's the purpose of the gift? Right. For God to speak, right? And so there's there's no longer any. That's why I don't consider myself a prophet, and I would consider that to be heretical to even consider myself that way, or even to talk about myself that way. I get it that some preachers will say, well, they prophesy in the sense they proclaim truth. I've already talked about that. I'm not going to do it because it's too confusing. I don't think that's a correct, a fully correct use of the term, and it's just not helpful in the in the confusion of the contemporary, uh, in the contemporary mindset of charismania. But you have to see this uh, flow through the New Testament, and that's why Paul's exhortation is really clear. Mm-hmm. And again, there were no apostles; no apostles were women. Um, and one thing that doesn't get said enough. When you get to Acts chapter 1, so if the office of leadership, and then by way of that transferring to elders and pastors, if that was to be open for women as well, then something drastically went wrong in Acts chapter 1 when Judas's replacement was being picked and there were women. Now, you, now there were women it, there. There were only 120 believers at mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. in the upper room, mm-hmm. and there were the text says many women there. Women like Joanna, women like Mary, women who had been with Christ. It says it. Been and with seen Christ. Him. Been they, with they Christ. Fit it. They yep. fit all the requirements by way of uh, by way of uh, what they had seen and mm-hmm. been with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great, and yet they were not even an option mm-hmm. for the why. Because that wasn't God's design. It never was. Mm -hmm. And again, why didn't the women revolt? Why didn't they stand up? Why didn't they? They didn't. That was the the perfect time for a feminist movement, woman's movement. That would be biblical, Mm -hmm. right? In the sense of here it is. They're they're trying to right the the male chauvinistic patriarchal disaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, they didn't do that because it wasn't even an option. It wasn't God's will, Mm -hmm. right? It's never God's will for a woman to lead in those positions. And God has made that clear. And that's not mean, that's loving because it's truthful, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, so when these kind of verses come up, there's no problems there. That's that's biblical truth. Yeah, there were offices of prophetess, right? And uh, no one denies that at all. I want to add two things to what you're saying. First of all, is that helpful? (laughs) Yes, very much so. Uh, I want to add two things, meaning I want to make sure that these are said. one is that uh, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, yeah. I think the reason why there is this big uh, uh, hush in the room whenever you say that, uh, that women aren't able to do these certain things, I think that people don't understand it's not a matter of ability. Nope. Because I definitely would imagine that my wife would be a, a great, like if she went to school, studied, did all those things, and even now there are people that would consider them, you know, 
they would say that I'm a pastor and they're female, that they do very well when they preach, but that's just not what God has designed. So it's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of, of biblical interpretation, interpreting it the correct way. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah it's, it's never, it has nothing to do with ability. It has everything to do with God's will. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, and I think that that is that a lot of times people will hear that and that's all they hear. Like, yep. yeah, no, I can do it. I'm, I, it's not about ability, what you're able to do. The second thing is I had this question, that, but, but you've answered it, but I just want to ask it just so you can answer it again. Yeah. Uh, are there prophets today? Yeah, no, there are, there are no prophets today. If you define prophecy the way the Bible does. Okay. If you define prophecy as the declaration, or, excuse me, let me, let me rephrase that. If you define prophecy as the revelation, the divine revelation given from God, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to man that man does not have, and then you give it to mm-hmm. man, right? You are the recipient of divine discussion with God, where mm-hmm. God tells you truth, and now you go and tell others. That's, that's, that's about as simple and, and, and pedestrian as I can define it, right? Infallible, always right, always true, uh, revelation from God that he has not revealed yet so this is brand new and now you go and tell others that's prophecy mm-hmm. right of course there is no prophecy today because God's word is is the ultimate prophecy and it's complete Hebrews chapter uh, 1 makes that very clear long ago many long times. ago and in many times he spoke in various ways mm-hmm. dreams right prophets all that right mm-hmm. he did and the Old Testament shows that but now and this time, he speaks finally through his son, mm-hmm. and this is it. He has come, and he has spoken, and we have it in the revealed prophecy, the word of God. And so, absolutely, there is no prophecy, again, because for there to be prophecy, it would have to be 100% inf- infallible, accurate, complete, and there is nothing like that today, and no one even claims that. Everyone all the charismatics who are honest at all, who, who, tr- who are transparent and, and in any way want to try to be somewhat submissive to the Scripture, will all admit that. Everybody. Mm-hmm. So, again, that, to me, that ends the argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you evaluate what the Bible says and you evaluate what the church does today, you'll see you're dealing with two different things. So one of them can't be right, mm-hmm. right? Because there's not two gifts of prophecy. There's just one. So uh, now back to the to your original question about the prophetess. I again, depending on who you hear and who you listen to, people will take that word prophet or prophecy, and they'll they'll cut it into two parts: mm-hmm. the person who receives revelation and gives it, or the person that just declares revelation. So you could have you could have it where somebody is prophesying but all they're doing is declaring God's word that's where some people today will use will say pastors are prophets Mm -hmm. and they're not saying that we receive revelation they're just saying we declare it and some people would say that's what Miriam did that's what Deborah did that's what uh, Anna did where they were just teachers of of the word right declares of the word Mm -hmm. and and there's some truth in that I don't know if we can definitively say that's all they did because the Bible doesn't really declare that right and so I'm hesitant to say that. But if you go back to Miriam, back to, what is it, Exodus 15, mm-hmm. where she prophesies, right? What is she, what is she doing? 
is she's declaring her song, right? When they came mm-hmm. through the Red Sea. Yeah, she's yeah. basically just kind of going over, just like Deborah did. Yes, uh, she's, just, chapter. she's just declaring what mm-hmm. God has done. Right. So in that sense, she is prophesying. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, maybe that's what Anna was, mm-hmm. where she was in that same line. And the four daughters. And the four daughters, where mm-hmm. they were just constantly declaring God's word and, and singing God's word and 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 in that sense proclaiming God's word of what he has already done mm-hmm. right and so in that sense yeah and that could be uh, all that they were i don't know right i'm mm-hmm. just i'm just trying to deal with the term as it is and in, in the office as it was and saying yeah but to me there is no uh, conflict even if they were given divine revelation mm-hmm. right even if they were prophets in the truest sense of the word where they were given truth never told before by God, that doesn't that doesn't uh, negate uh, everything that Paul says in the New Testament at all. Right. At all. Now, again, we're trying to define the office simply off of the use of the term, rather than a clear illustration of what they did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is it is a little you know it is a little bit clouded, right? Because mm-hmm. it just said she's a prophetess. Well, what does that mean? Well, all we can do is go back to the Old Testament, define it as we've done, wrestle with it. And I think we have to be honest and say, yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but even if she received divine revelation, okay, right? That was an Old Testament reality. We know that. That was a reality even then, right, where Mm -hmm. where God's word is is going out. And in 1 Corinthians, you can see it there as well. And uh, and, uh, so I think, um, I think, that's not that's not a that's not a big deal. That's not an issue. Gotcha. And that doesn't negate. That's my point. It doesn't override what's what Paul says later, historically later, in First Timothy chapter two, um, at all, or what he says in First Corinthians twelve, where he's very clear of what the role and office of the pastor is. The pastor's not a prophet, therefore, no one else is a prophet, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of that, that office is done, and. Uh, and women are not to be pastors, elders, proclaimers of God's word in that way. Mm-hmm. And so with that official office and position. All right. So is, I'm going to mess with you now. Is that, is that, yeah, that's real just good. Pulling it all in. And, yeah. And there, there is clear. no gift. And you can go, you can tell our people to go to, or those listening, go to our, our website, pull up some sermons I did on the, on charismatic gifts back a couple of years ago and yeah. I did a whole sermon. I can tell exactly on, what it was. <laughs> yeah. That's I, when we started coming to church. Yeah. I did a whole thing on, yep. on, on the gift of prophecy, which I think most people want to go to the gift of tongues. I think the gift of prophecy and rightfully understanding that gift is more important than even tongues. Mm-hmm. Tongues is a no brainer. That's really easy to deal with mm-hmm. because it's so obvious, but the gift of prophecy is the one that most people get wrong and they don't know they're getting it wrong. Right. Yeah. And and so uh, yeah, so there's a lot more that we can say about that, but I don't want to, I don't want to monopolize the whole time just on this one question. Well, there's another question that comes off of this, um, and this this isn't a part of the the questions that I had. This is just a, an additional one. Yep. Because I do remember, um, and, and I wasn't, I'm not clear on what exactly was said, but this has been covered in the podcast before. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to deacons, um, there are, you know. Doesn't the Bible talk about that there was one uh, female deacon? No. Yep. Okay. But when you go to First uh, Timothy uh, chapter three, 
Yep. Um, you know, verse eight, when it goes over the qualifications for deacons. Yep. Um, verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober minded, faithful in all things. Yep. So is it that, you know, I mean, there's only two possibilities. There's that either yep. that's a he or she's married to a her. You yeah. know, how do we reconcile those two um, situations? Yeah. I told you the first one was going to be a warm up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, but that this actually wasn't even a question that I started off with. This wasn't written down. No, that's so, good. So, but, so, um, and I'll answer it here. But just again, encourage everybody to go to a sermon that I preached. Multiple sermons I preached on this, mm-hmm. both in the realm of eldership as well as deacons, and dealt with this question because it comes up, and I think it's a good question, and it's one that's warranted even from the text. Okay, so uh, I would say, I would say that my position is what I believe the Bible teaches, and that's why I hold the position, and that is that he's talking, um, he's not talking about deaconesses. He's not talking about women deacons. He's talking about wives of deacons. That's what he's talking about, mm-hmm. okay? So the question, the, the options are, he's either talking about a woman deacon or he's talking about the wife of a deacon, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to wrestle with the text here and discern uh, what does he mean when he's talking about this? And uh, as you as you go through the text, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Now, okay, I, I personally struggle with understanding, and I've exegeted this passage in the Greek. I've, I've preached this. I've studied it. And I have dear brothers and mentors who take a different position than, than I do. And so I understand that this is a debatable issue. However, that— Debatable meaning secondary to— it, it's, no, debatable in whether or not he's talking about deaconesses or wives of deacons. I think me, I think I was looking for the the clarification. This is not a salvation issue. No, 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 not at all. It's a debatable issue right. because it's a secondary issue. It's it's your salvation doesn't rest upon whether you're convicted <laughs> of it's deaconesses or or not. Right, right, right. But at the at the same time, we all hold convictions of what we believe based upon what God's word says. Right. And so I'm I'm not against guys holding their position and um, choosing to be wrong, that's fine. If that's, you know, if that's, you know, what they feel is right, that's that's between them and the Lord. But mm-hmm. for me, as studying this passage out for many years and looking at it, it's just very obvious to me, okay? And it, and it goes like this. As you're exegeting the passage and you're working through it, clearly, right, he's talking about males, Deacons likewise, deacons likewise, deacons likewise. And then you get down to this one verse, right? It's verse 11 that throws out. Like if, you, if verse 11 is not there, there's no question from anyone mm-hmm. whether he's talking about men or women. Mm-hmm. Everyone believes all the verses except for verse 11 is referencing males, right. right? All right. Then you get to verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now he goes back. Let deacons each be, 
the husband of one wife. Now, if you're going to take a position that says deacon can be male or female, then this whole passage has to be basically gender neutral, meaning where he could, he the whole paragraph is talking about men or women, right? Mm-hmm. That you you have to you have to hold that position. Why? Because once he goes from verse eleven talking about women, he goes back now in verse twelve to deacons, right? Well, it doesn't make sense. Let their wives let their wives likewise. So you could translate that because the word wife or wives could be woman, right? Mm-hmm. In in the Greek. So the word you have to translate it in in context. And so um that's why if you look at a footnote down at the bottom in most Bibles it, it will read it could be wives, likewise, must, or it could be women, likewise, must. Because the Greek word for wife and woman is basically the same Greek word. Mm. And so that's why you have to translate it as such. And so the, the translators of the ESV, I think, got it correct mm-hmm. by translating it, their wives. Their wives, likewise, likewise must be, okay? But so those who, who would translate this as deaconess would say, and, and women deacons, that's how they would translate it, or that's how they would paraphrase it. And women deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now look at verse 12. It, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Let deacons, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Let deacons be the husband of one wife. Now you've just made it really clear you're talking about men. Right. Right? Now that makes no sense. So, so does that mean women deacons don't have to be the wife of one husband? Does that, does, yeah. does that, I see what you're saying. Does that not translate? It's so it breaks down as you, f- as you flow through the whole passage together. It doesn't, it, it breaks apart. It doesn't make sense. Um, not at all. And so, so you see, you see really clearly, um, I think, uh, very clearly what he's talking about that it is wives, um, oh. not, so not, not women. I got something for you. Go ahead. So this is why, and you said the ESV. So yep. then my curious, my curious squirrel just popped yep. in. So we always have squirrel moments here on the Truth Talks podcast. So this, I'm going to read verses uh, eight through thirteen. Yep. And uh, 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 let me let me let me uh, disclaimer this first in a version you should never ever read. Uh oh. This is the Message Bible. Yep. The same goes for those who want to be servants in the church. Now, notice what they said. They said servants, serious, not deceitful, not too free with the bottle, not in it for what they can get out of it. They must be reverent before the mystery of the faith, not using their position to try to run things. Let them prove themselves first. If they show they can do it, take them on. No exceptions are to be made for women. Same qualifications, serious, dependable, not sharp tongued, not over fond of wine. Servants in the church are to be committed to their spouses attentive to their own children and diligent in looking after their own affairs. Those who do this servant work will come to be highly respected and a real credit to this Jesus faith. Yeah. So so that is completely crazy. Well, the way that they set that up because they literally said spouses instead of wives. Yeah. They said servants instead of the word deacon, which is a completely different Greek word. Correct? No, no, no. You can translate the word deacon as servant. Yeah, but slave. Is but it's a, the, but is it the male form? Or is it the female it's form? Slave. Slave would be um, doulos. Deacon is diakonos. So you can translate it actually 
It can be translated as assistant. It can be translated as deacon. It can be translated as servant. There's a number of translations that that are open to you okay. as you translate. It's just context that drives that. Uh, actually, in Acts, I think Timothy is is called the diakonos, but it's often translated assistant, which I think is a really good translation, not used enough, mm-hmm. because that's what the deacons were. They were assistants mm-hmm. to uh, to the apostles or to the elders, and that is the role of deacon, and I think that's what the Bible teaches. And so, yeah, no, I mean, again, it's one of those things that gets debated and that there are myriads of uh, positions in this, meaning people who believe in deaconesses, people who don't. I clearly don't because I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think it fits with the flow of Scripture um, in the leadership position being a male-only leadership position in the church. I think that's something that has to be considered, um, and it doesn't fit. More importantly, as I've shown, it doesn't fit with the exegesis of the passage. When you start exegeting the passage and what Paul is saying, it doesn't flow. It doesn't make sense. Why would he change, and why does he go back and forth, and he doesn't make it clear, right? He's using the same exact term all the way through, and uh, clearly he's talking about the wife of the deacon. And mm-hmm. again, why? Why? This doesn't get talked about enough. Why? Because what Paul has sent Timothy to do is to fix the church in Ephesus, which was a disaster. And why was it a disaster? Again, this is not politically correct, and this will get misinterpreted, but this is biblically accurate because of two reasons. You had elders who were not elders. They were not qualified. They were false teachers and heretics holding the position of elder, and that's why Paul had to run a bunch of them out, and it was a disaster, Alexander, Hymenaeus, and others. And so that's why he says right away, you know, I'm sending you in there, Timothy, now to fix, to finish what I've started and clean this mess up. Because he said in Acts chapter 20, he told the elders of, of the church at Ephesus, wolves are going to rise up. And they did. And that's why we have the first, first and second letters to uh, Timothy because of the disaster in Ephesus. And that's what Timothy was going. But there were also problems in this church from women, women who were trying to pull in positions of leadership teaching and creating all kinds of problems and that's why he says so clearly in first timothy that women should not be teachers because they were trying to be teachers and they were creating problems and they were not following god's will which was for them to not take that role of leadership position but the role of of support and service and all of those things that god makes clear in his word so um I think as you th- understand the context, understand the flow, understand the problem, the, his- the history of what's going on there, and you read it, and then you do the exegesis in the original language, and you, and you look at it, and it's like, yeah, the, word, the Greek word for wife or for woman can be used, right? It, they, there's one Greek word. It can be translated wives. It's in the plural. can be translated women. For sure. But then when you read it in its context, again, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It falls apart. And uh, and as you follow it in flow, it, it totally. And then when you follow it as it follows the elders, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see. Yeah, right it, in line with They're that. all men, right? Mm-hmm. And now you've got this other, this other office, this other role of leadership that's men and women. And you're just like, what's going on here? Something's not right. Something's. 
something doesn't fit. And um, so, yeah, again, this is this is not foundational to the argument, but it is a part of the argument that doesn't get talked about enough either. And when you go over to Acts chapter 6, they aren't called deacons. We already talked about Philip the Evangelist being one of the seven. So the, in Acts chapter 6, you have the apostles who then uh, are being called upon to deal with all of the diakonos issues, the mm-hmm. deaconing issues, mm-hmm. the physical issues. And right. they say, what? We can't do this. We can't wait tables. That's literally what it says in the Greek. We can't wait tables. We've got to, we've got to do the work of the word mm-hmm. and prayer. Mm-hmm. So he says, pick seven men among you full of the Holy Spirit who, who will do this work. They're, they're not technically called deacons in that passage, so I want to be clear about that. However, anybody that exegetes Scripture honestly will tell you they were the prototype deacons because that's what they did. Mm-hmm. They were the first, right, who did the work of the deacon. They came in and they waited on tables. That's the work of the deacon. They did the, the physical labor. They were helping the apostles taking the physical load off of them so that they could do the spiritual work of prayer and the ministry of the word. Well, that's exactly what what Paul is lining out in 1 Timothy 3. The elders have the role of the spiritual work, Mm -hmm. and the deacons have the role of the physical work, and they are there to what? That's why they come under the elders, to support them and their assistance. And so if you you understand that to be um, that way, then again, you go back to Acts chapter 6. Why does he say seven men? full of the Holy Spirit. Why not pick seven men or men or men and women? Pick mm-hmm. seven either men or woman who's godly and 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 can do this, right? Again, you see that reality very clearly that I think you, you have to wrestle with because there were clearly uh women there um in that issue and that were dealing with the problems of the Hellenist Jews not being fed and all of that. And so again, that's another that's another argument that I think um needs to be needs to be brought in. I will say that the counter arguments, I know them and I know what people will say in, in Romans 16. Right. Phoebe, that's what I was going. Phoebe is called a, a, a deacon, but again, is she a, is she a deacon or is it just servant? Right. Again, you have to translate that. Right. And the ESV, it says servant. Exactly. Right. Again, that's why, I, that's why I like the ESV, at least in these verses, mm-hmm. because I think they get it right. When you do the, when you do the exegesis, it's not necessarily calling her a deacon by way of position, title, mm-hmm. right, office. It's just saying she served. Well, of course, everybody's commanded to serve. Right. And women do serve and they have a they have a powerful place of service in the church. And so no one denies that and anybody that does is a false teacher because the Bible is clear. However, you know, there's a big difference in um in in a woman serving in the church as she's commanded versus a woman holding a position right? A position of leadership. And mm-hmm. I think deacon is a position of leadership. That's why the, again, you can't deny that either because right. the qualifications, the examination, mm-hmm. right? Again, if, if, if it's just a servant, and this is where it gets a little muddied. So some of my friends and faithful uh, preachers of God's word will hold this position, but they don't, they hold it in such a way where what they mean by women can be deacons, they just mean servants in the church, Right. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I wouldn't argue with them. I would go right back to the same thing I said earlier, where it's like, OK, I, I agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Every every believer is a servant in the church. And so 
I see what you're saying, that women are servants as well, and they do serve. They serve in ways that sometimes that men can't serve, especially dealing with women's min- ministry and things like that. So I understand you're, you want to give them the title deacon because they're servants, and that's what the term literally means, servant. Mm-hmm. So I get that. However, we're right back to the same thing. Let's be clear on what we mean, just like the prophecy thing. Yes, I get it. I prophesy as a, as a preacher. I'm prophesying. I'm I'm not foretelling, I'm forthtelling. Mm-hmm. I'm declaring the word. Okay, I get it. I hear what you're saying. I'm prophesying. Yes. In the in the pedestrian use of the word, the simple use of the word, I get it. I agree with you. However, that's not clear. When I say that, 12 people are thinking 12 <laughs> different things. Right. So I always fight for clarity. So if we start calling women deacons, I understand yeah, I have no problem with that. I literally have no problem with that. If you mean by the word servant, of course they're deacons. They're serving. Phoebe was a deacon. She was serving, right? Yeah. Now, the problem is once we do that, 12 different people have 12 different understandings mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why do that? Let's be clear. Let's be very clear of what we mean. If we're talking about the office, the the role, the position of leadership, then that is only given to men because that's what God's word very clear about because in this qualification of first timothy 3 notice he sets them apart by calling them deacons he's saying very clearly these are this is a special group of people in the church Mm -hmm. not just every christian notice it's 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 there's no way to read this and read it as let every christian be tested before they serve let every Christian hold to these things before they serve. Not at all. It's these special group of people that have to go through a special examination before they're given this special position. And even I remember when you were talking about a certain deacon in our church, I can't remember who it was, but you actually went about giving them the title of deacon because they were already doing yeah. deacon stuff, yeah. you know, deacon things. So it wasn't it didn't it didn't seem weird that that guy would be a deacon he was already doing everything that that a deacon would do so it's like here you go you're yeah. a deacon yeah so but i i think that but also the examination still has to happen the oh, qualifications yeah. that's the point that i think again it's another point that i don't think we think about enough this isn't talking about everybody in the church right although again Generally speaking, everybody should meet the qualifications of the elder and mm-hmm. the deacon, right? Mm-hmm. So so these qualifications are given everywhere in Scripture. It's not just for these people. But Paul is dealing with a specific problem in mm-hmm. a specific church right. with leadership. And these are clearly leaders, elder, deacon. That's undeniable. Mm-hmm. And so if you hold that position, that it's a leadership position, I don't know how you can hold it, that it's that it's uh, also women and not then be in a contrary position contradictory position where you say, well, only men are to hold leadership positions in the church. And now you've got a woman holding a position of deacon, which is, uh, which now you're contradicting yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I know how they'll get around it. Well, well, yeah, but they only lead in women's ministry or children's ministry or something. And it's like, yeah, but it's still, you're, you're, now you're, you're, you're conflating what you've said are over here and you're not being clear over here. Mm-hmm. And I, I strive for clarity. Yeah. And, uh, so I think that's the clearest interpretation and the clearest position based upon the full revelation of scripture as we've articulated it. 
Well, what what I want to do right now is uh, I want to end it. Did I answer? Did I? You answered all of the questions in that podcast, but you have we have more podcasts to do, so we're going to have to come back so you can answer. And so, like I said before, I would refer our our listeners who have more questions to go back to that sermon series I did. I cannot remember; it was a couple years ago, but just Google it, look it up on Deacons. I'll I'll look it up and link it. I think I preached three or four sermons through this passage Mm -hmm. and dealt with the issue of women deacons. And again, I, I, my brothers who take the position of deaconess, I love you, and I stand with you. If you mean women are servants, absolutely, we can call you can call them deaconesses if you want, mm-hmm. and I have no problem with that. But if you're talking about leadership position, this text doesn't make sense. If you're if you're then now putting women in that leadership position, it doesn't make sense. Um, it contradicts what you've just emphatically declared about the elder up above, and now now what you're saying about the deacon below it just it doesn't fit yeah so we're going to come back and uh talk more about this thanks you all thank you all for tuning in today uh, if you have any questions please send them to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com look us up on instagram at the truth talks podcast also on twitter at the truth talks p1 thank you for tuning in and now here is something that we cannot debate the gospel, about, of, which jesus is the gospel of jesus christ it all starts with god god is holy he is all high above all men and he is the ultimate set apart being that sits in the heaven and does what he pleases he is the creator and he cannot be near sin the sin or missing the mark the wrong we do that's where we come in because we are sinful creatures and as we cannot be near god we cannot see him neither can we go to heaven when we die. As a matter of fact, we are so opposite of God's holiness, our sin deserves his wrath and we deserve to go to hell. We deserve to die for our sins, which makes us helpless and it's really what we deserve. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But it all makes sense, right? We have done many bad things in the old saying, you do the crime, you do the time fits here, correct? Even the good that we do can't cover for our bad. It's all seen the same way in God's eyes. He calls our deeds, our good deeds, filthy rags. One-time use bloody rags. That's our good deeds. So imagine our bad deeds. We are wretched, lost at sea. And nothing we can do can make us good enough to stand next to a holy God. Well, that is, no one but God. That's where Jesus steps up on the scene. He came to earth without fanfare, though he is a king and deserves all of it. He, a part of the Godhead, decided to make himself a baby, dependent on another person for everything. Imagine the holy God condescending to purpose two things, living the perfect life for us and dying the death that we deserved. Because of our sin, we deserve death. But because of Jesus living the perfect life on earth, he deserved life. But he chose death. Why? Because only a holy God could live perfectly and stand in our place of execution. So not only did he die for our 
horrible deeds, he also lived the perfect life in our place because we certainly cannot. Now we have a choice. We can hear this good news and either accept it, turn from our sin and toward the Christ and accept his free gift. That same scripture in Romans I mentioned has a second part of that verse. Here's the whole thing. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we leave this earth from our physical bodies, we stand at the judgment throne of God with our spiritual bodies. At that point, we are judged on what we did. Did we accept the easy way to live or the difficult way to live? Imagine there are two roads in front of you, a fork in the road, if you will. One side has a smoothed out path, no bumps, and the dirt is packed down for a smooth journey. Very wide road and a comfortable, easy walk. You can easily see the end of that road, and it is a cliff that falls into what can only be described as an abyss. There is no way around it. It is certain death. The other path is rocky and hard to walk, very narrow, and it goes uphill, just adding to the difficulty. You can see the end of that path. It leads to a place of peace, a long ways away, and a very bright light at the top of the hill. And there is a cross. Most people will choose the easy path, a few the hard path. The question is, which will you choose? I implore you to turn away from the easy path and choose the hard way. Or in in other words, repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This same Lord is Lord over all, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.13 Saved from what? I'm glad you asked. Saved from God's wrath and judgment. Ultimately, saved from our sin that so easily entangles. And this choice is yours to reject these words and choose the easy path. Or, repent and believe and choose the path that will be hard now, but brings life later. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.